Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. It's official. The House has passed the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. It passed. You heard that in the news report. So here we go. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli, our big fourth and final hour. Don't forget Friday live at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey for our last and final show of the year. So make sure you join us this coming Friday, 3 to 7 p.m. Uh, programming note for you, we are going to uh, have um, Philip Magnus on the show, Phil Magnus, excuse me, on the show later today. He has discovered that Harvard President Claudine Gay plagiarized material in another academic paper. So this is some breaking news, and we'll talk to him at about 6.30 today. So there you go. Here's all the latest so that you're all caught up. Um, spent a lot of time, obviously, on Hunter Biden. But one of the other questions right now is what's going to happen with Donald Trump January 6th and everything else. Now, the question is, does Donald Trump have presidential immunity? And that is the question. Now, when they're trying to dismiss the case from Jack Smith's special counsel, who's obviously hell bent on getting Trump and getting him on trial, getting him on the stand prior to Super Tuesday. That's what his goal is. John Loro, Trump's lead attorney, said, quote, President Trump's alleged conduct, publicly and politically disputing the outcome of the election, attempting to convince Congress to act, and allegedly organizing alternate slates of electors, falls outside the plain language of the charged statute. One of the key statutes in question is 18 U.S.C. 1512, part of the 2002 Sarbanes-Oxley Act passed by Congress to prevent Fraudulent financial reporting by organizations. Statute was meant to close a loophole in other obstruction laws related to the destruction of evidence, but left open to interpretation the terms corruptly and official proceeding in the following passage. To the point where, as Julie Kelly points out, defense lawyers claim it can be used to criminalize political activity. Here is the passage. And before I do that, just to remind you, you had the Enron scandal. It was a big deal, obviously, back in 2002 when they then tried to do these reforms. Sarbanes-Oxley was a massive bill. It was a big bill. And it changed a lot of different things. 
They are using this along with the RICO Act to go after Trump and also go using the Foreign Agents Registration Act to justify various things as well, except when it comes to Hunter Biden. They have not charged him with that yet, although I think that they will. So here's what the statute, Sarbanes-Oxley, that the special counsel Jack Smith is now using, and they've been using in a number of these January 6th cases. Quote, whoever corruptly alters, destroys, mutilates, or conceals a record, document, or other object, or attempts to do so with the intent to impair the object's integrity or availability for use in an official proceeding or otherwise obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do so, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. The Department of Justice legal basis rests on the argument that the joint session of Congress held on January 6th to debate and certify the 2020 election was an official proceeding, as opposed to a ceremonial gathering. Those who interrupted Congress, prompting a six-hour delay or planned to disrupt it, committed that particular obstruction felony that I just read to you. Federal prosecutors so far have charged more than 300 January 6th defendants with obstruction under that statute that was written in the wake of the Enron scandal. In August, Smith's office handed down a 45-page indictment against Trump claiming his attempts to persuade Vice President Mike Pence to reject some electoral college votes and organize alternate slates of electors, among other acts, also represented an attempt to obstruct the certification of the 2020 election. Smith's indictment is hardly the first time the Department of Justice sought to nab Trump on the obstruction count. It represents the culmination of a years-long effort dating back to 2017, when special counsel Robert Mueller investigated Trump for violating Section 1512 of the U.S. Code as part of his probe into Russia's role in the 2016 election. And this is what he came up with. The second volume of special counsel Robert Mueller's report on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2018 presidential election enumerated multiple instances where Trump allegedly violated Section 1512. He concluded that Trump's behavior in office met the statute's largely undefined language regarding obstruction. He said the following, quote, Section 1512C2 applies to corrupt acts, including by public officials, that frustrate the commencement or conduct of a proceeding and not just to acts that make evidence unavailable or impair its integrity. Now, remember, he did not refer Trump to the Justice Department on the obstruction count. Attorney General William Barr disagreed with Mueller's assessment and did not charge Trump. But the government's desire to broadly interpret the statute in Trump-related cases did not end there. Within days of the January 6th riot at the Capitol, a grand jury impaneled by the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia started handing up indictments on the 1512 offense. Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman. That was the guy with the horns. He was the first protester charged for obstruction of an official proceeding on January 11th, 2021. Some of the accused never entered the Capitol or went inside after Congress recessed. Enrique Tarrio, leader of the Proud Boys, was in a Baltimore hotel on January 6th following court orders to stay out of the nation's capital. Trump himself never set foot on Capitol Hill that day. The same cannot be said for Thomas Robertson. He's a Virginia police sergeant, or was at the time, He was fired from his job right after that. The government indicted Robertson, a former Army Ranger with no criminal record, on six federal crimes, including 1512C2. Despite Robertson's facing no charge related to assaulting a police officer or vandalizing property and being inside the building for roughly 20 minutes, 
U.S. District Court Judge Christopher Cooper revoked Robertson's bond in July of 2021. Before his April 2022 trial, Robertson filed a motion to dismiss the charge related to Section 1512. Again, that, that's the post-Enron statute. He argued, as others have in similar dismissal motions, that Congress's work on January 6th was outside the fundamental scope of the law. The electoral count is a ceremonial and administrative event that is not an official proceeding. It is not an adjudicative proceeding involving witness testimony and evidence, his lawyer wrote. Further, the court's historical definition of corruptly, requiring an individual intentionally breaking the law in an effort to obstruct something, has been stretched in Robertson's case to encompass social media posts. Robertson generally objected to the ill-defined nature of the statute as well as DOJ's selective use of it. Inconsistent charging decisions, along with inherently vague words in the statute, that is the basis for charging these defendants, all will show that 18 U.S.C. 1512 is unconstitutionally vague. The trial judge appointed by Barack Obama did not agree. Citing similar decisions by eight of his judicial colleagues up to that point, he denied the motion and rejected the defense argument that 1512 was unconstitutionally vague. Robertson's corrupt intent, the judge concluded, was demonstrated by social media posts before and on January 6th, including his online claims that, quote, CNN and the left are just mad because we actually attacked the government and in one day took the effing U.S. Capitol. That was sufficient for the judge to doubt Robertson's motives. The judge said if Robertson had expressed his views only through social media, he almost certainly would not be here. But he also allegedly took action entering the Capitol without lawful authority in an alleged attempt to impede the Electoral College vote certification. His words remain relevant to his intent and motive for for taking those alleged actions. Following a four-day trial in D.C., they found him guilty on all counts. He was sentenced to 87 months, more than seven years in prison. Prosecutors routinely ask for up to five years for 1512 convictions, either by a jury or through plea agreements. In some cases, DOJ successfully asked judges to deny release for defendants simply charged with 1512. A judge denied Jacob Chansley's release based on the obstruction charge. He remained behind bars until he accepted a plea offer nine months later and was then sentenced to 41 months. But the application of this statute, again, passed post-Enron, a financial reform, Sarbanes-Oxley, is unsettled judicial territory. While the various courts that have heard appeals regarding its use have so far backed the government's position, they've all rendered split decisions marked by often fiery dissents. In April, a three-judge panel of the appellate court in Washington hearing the case USA v. Fisher gave what one of the judges described as a splintered decision to barely uphold the charge against the three defendants, who were also charged with assaulting police officers. Now, The interesting part about what's going on here with Trump and why all this matters, of course, is that right now the question becomes, was this a legal proceeding? Was this an official proceeding? And then does Trump have immunity based on his actions that day as president of the United States? If the government's going to argue then that this was, in fact, an official proceeding, then does Trump as president then have immunity because he's part of the Electoral Count Act? He's a candidate. He has the ability then to use his voice to convince people that they should not certify the election. If it's a pro forma ceremony, well, then it's irrelevant, right? If it's an actual thing where they get to decide whether or not to certify the election results or not, then does Trump have immunity in the sense because now he's president, he was using his voice, he didn't, he didn't actually do anything that day 
He was just telling people they should reject the results. No different than members of Congress have done, no different than senators have done. In fact, under the Electoral Count Act, the way that it was written at the time, that was absolutely Congress's right to reject the electoral count and send it back to the states. Now, they've since reformed that law, but at the time that was the case. Remember, it was Vice President Mike Pence who said he had no ability to reject the election results, and this was a formality. This was a ceremonial vote. All right? This was a ceremonial vote, and that's all this was. The problem, though, is that when you look at what Jack Smith is doing, the special counsel, by going after Trump with this, the question becomes, will the Supreme Court find that all the judges who questioned whether or not Section 1512 could really apply here, were they wrong? While touting the Fisher decision as a win for Jack Smith, Andrew Weissman, lead prosecutor in the Mueller investigation, admitted that the Supreme Court could find some parts of a decision to be inapplicable. Washington Post legal affairs columnist Jason Willick warned in April that the Fisher case could make American politics even worse and criticized the Department of Justice for rejiggering the obstruction law at a time of heightened political tension. The country does not need, Willick wrote, a new open-ended grant of power to prosecutors to reach into the political system, one that could be used in the future against interest groups and officials who fall out of favor with the president's Department of Justice. That was from the far right wing Washington Post. This is, as Julie Kelly points out, the tangled legal and judicial system in the nation's capital that now awaits Donald Trump. A quick trigger jury pool deciding the merits of a dubious charge as federal judges widen the utility and interpretation of a law written to close a loophole related to corporate interference in criminal investigations. Special counsel is now in a collision course of sorts. U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Proliger filed a brief on October 30th asking the Supreme Court to deny the petition to review the appellate court's decision in the Fisher case. The Supreme Court, only four justices need to agree, could take up the matter as early as this month. They grant cert. The court would then send a signal it is prepared to overturn how both the government and the federal courts have interpreted the obstruction statute. Now, this Fisher case is particularly interesting. And this guy, you, you, you have to realize now that when somebody is able to beat back on the government, with the argument that the government is using a statute that never intended to be applied in this matter, that's a very important point, a very important point. And in this case of this guy, Fisher, who won, the defense attorneys filed petitions before the Supreme Court to reverse the appellate court's two-to-one ruling. And the attorneys are expected to file their own pleadings before the high court. And what they're saying right now, and what the Brookings Institute, Roger Parloff described, as a very, very tenacious and precarious lane the government's going down here. Democrat-appointed judges are now expanding the ability of prosecutors to reach into laws passed for other reasons to go after people. So you have some people here who are civil libertarians who are warning this. And they're saying right now that you have to realize that if you turn around and you say, for example... And somebody's speech led to them obstructing an official proceeding when an official proceeding at the time was meant to be a government investigation into something and corporations destroying documents that would hide their guilt. And you're going to now translate that statute into the president of the United States of America 
giving a speech and using his bully pulpit to tell people they should reject the electoral college results. But like any other thing that Congress has the ability to do, why can't he weigh in on it? I mean, really, would it be any different? Think about it from this perspective. Would it be any different if Donald Trump stood up there and said, I want you to march down the Capitol peacefully and use your voice and let them know they should not pass H.R. 1, right? Whatever the bill is, whatever the bill is, a bill to, I don't know, mandate green vehicles or something like that, right? And Congress doesn't pass H.R. 1. Has he obstructed with an official congressional proceeding? The argument the government's been using basically right now is that his words then led to an official proceeding being disrupted. Therefore, he has obstructed an official proceeding. But we were also told that that was not an official proceeding and it was just a pro forma ceremony, just a ceremony. And therefore, then it wouldn't even count as an official proceeding under the statute. But it's very troubling to think that something that was passed in 2002 and the government does this all the time, right? They pass a statute. They give the government more power. It's supposed to be for this specific issue. And then they decide to apply it wherever they want. So theoretically, I would argue then that if the president, who's not a member of Congress, stands up there and says, I hope Congress votes down this. And I want everybody to go to the Capitol and, and, and use your voice. Not He never said to go smash windows and go do any of those things. But let's say a future president stands up there and says, they're going to try to pass this bill to take away your Second Amendment rights. And it's a veto-proof majority I need you to go down there as a big speech on the ellipse. I need you to go down there and I want you to make your voices heard because we got to fight like hell. Otherwise, we don't have a country. And then the hundreds of people that are there march down to the Capitol and they don't do anything. They don't go inside the Capitol. They don't move any barricades. They don't do a damn thing. They just stand there. But Congress, given what happened on January 6th, 2021, is so skittish and nervous that they decide to delay the proceeding, to delay the vote by a few hours. Six hours later, they come back in, they pass the, the law, and then they take away guns, whatever it is. Has the president then obstructed an official proceeding of Congress with his words? Did all the people then who went to the Capitol in an intimidating fashion, the American people who were trying to make their voices heard, did they all now uh, interfere with an official congressional proceeding? It's a very, very big stretch here. It really is. Because presidents have First Amendment rights like everybody else, but even more importantly, they're part of the process. I mean, Donald Trump was a candidate. He felt that he won the election. He believed that he was being cheated and he wanted Congress to reject the results and he wanted it to go back to the states, which was absolutely legally permissible under the Electoral Count Act as it was written as of January 6, 2021. He used his voice to do so. People that committed actual violence that day People that broke windows or did anything else, well, that's different. That's obviously a different story. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to reach back to 2002, pluck up this Enron statute, and then use it to go after Donald Trump and say, you obstructed an official proceeding, the first question is, is it official? Or is it like Mike Pence said, just a ceremony? In which case, then now you've obstructed a ceremony, and so then the statute wouldn't even apply. But if it is an official proceeding, how is it any different than Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm? How is it any different than a uh, member of Congress who objected to the electoral certification of Trump, like Jamie Raskin did? 
mean, Jamie Raskin wasn't breaking the law at the time. He had the right to do so under the act. But how was Donald Trump breaking the law? He didn't do anything physically. He just used his voice to encourage others who had the power to do something to do something. But how's that any different than if he stands up there and he says, don't pass this bill and march down the Capitol and stand in solidarity and, and make your voices heard. And the chants from the people in the crowd are just so loud. Congress says, we have to delay this vote. Well, haven't you now officially, haven't you just now interfere with an official congressional proceeding? Theoretically, according to the statute, yes. And every single person there should be guilty of a crime. And the president who told them to go should also be guilty of a crime because Congress delayed the vote for a few hours. You disrupted an official proceeding. Didn't do anything to do that, but they decided to take a break. I mean, it's such a slippery slope here. It really is. But these are the things the Supreme Court's going to have to deal with very, very, very soon. Because these arguments before the high court are going to have to happen before Jack Smith now can launch his trial of Trump pre-Super Tuesday. So when the Supreme Court came in and said, we're going to review these immunity claims and we want you to, you have, you have until December 20th to file your briefs. And then the D.C. Circuit Court Judge Chutkin came out and said, we're going to put this trial on hold until that process is done. That now paints a very difficult timing window for Jack Smith. A very, very bad timing window because his whole goal is to have this happen prior to Super Tuesday, thinking that that will make Republican voters choose somebody else. Jack Smith will then be presented with a major decision, whether to proceed with the prosecution of a former president on an offense that may be overturned by the Supreme Court and one he brought at some risk months after the divided Fisher opinion. So it could be a devastating blow to the special prosecutor, Jack Smith. And either way, from a timing perspective, it's a devastating blow. And a good reminder to you that when the government gives itself more power for something specific, they will eventually expand that power and use it however the hell they want. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Listen, Cherry Hill Vavo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. They are there for you every step of the way. They are always working hard to give you the absolute best promotions and financing. And on top of their already aggressive promotions they have, they're adding to it. They're doing a big renovation at the dealership. And to make room for all the construction equipment, they are going to double down here. An additional $1,000 off all new Volvos plus owner loyalty. And $2,000 off when you're financing or leasing through Volvo Cars. Plus a $7,500 lease rebate on all plug-in Volvos. The dedicated professionals at Cherry Hill Volvo pride themselves on always delivering the luxury experience you deserve. And we're so honored to be broadcasting live from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios every single day. They will make the experience a luxurious one for you because you're driving a beautiful, luxurious vehicle. Volvos are great cars. And you will love the safety. You'll love the technology. You'll love all of it. So please go see my friends at Cherry Hill Volvo today, the region's most accessible Volvo dealership and the only Volvo dealership that is the Talk Radio 1210 WPHD studio sponsor. When we come back, we'll get an update on Harvard. We'll talk to a very special guest about the latest revelations about Harvard's president. The House has voted officially to open an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. What does that mean? Where do we go from here? Don't go away. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. The Zioli Show on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Big day today, breaking news all over the place. Obviously, the House just passed a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. Uh, spent a lot of time on the show today about Hunter Biden, his uh, pathetic victim speech today on the outside the Capitol, uh, all the drama around that. Just another point on this issue of um, the, the charge against Trump, the obstruction charge. Uh, there were several judges who looked at the government using that against uh, protesters, like people that go in the Capitol building, sit in the rotunda, protest, and saying that you could charge all of them under this, too, for disrupting official proceedings. And then one judge made the comment of saying that if we use this Enron statute to charge every protester, we will have to build new prisons. Because eventually, protesters will be obstructing an official proceeding in some capacity, some way, shape, or form. So just something to think about as that case makes its way through the courts. Um, something else, too. Harvard, obviously, what's happening there in Harvard I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Philip Magnus to the show again. He's a research fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research and author of Cracks in the Ivory Tower, The Moral Mess of Higher Education. Dr. Magnus, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to start by playing a clip of uh, Nicole (laughs) Hannah-Jones. Nicole (laughs) Hannah-Jones reacting to the attacks on Harvard's president Claudine Gay. Take a listen. What do you make of the fact that, you know, there were all these university presidents who were criticized. She wasn't the only one. Uh, But the other presidents weren't criticized because they were women. They were criticized because of things that they said or did. Uh, She is being singled out as someone who is only surviving because of her race. What did you make of that? Well, it's racist. I mean, we have no one has produced a shred of evidence that shows that the sole qualification uh, that um, uh, President Gay had was that she is a black woman. That's insulting. Um, It defies logic. And the fact that of those presidents who all came under intense scrutiny, that only one has been called out as a so-called diversity or affirmative action hire, just speaks to what black women in this country have gone through historically.
basically and continue to go through every day. Um, she's clearly qualified. Okay, now, Philip Magnus, let me ask you this plagiarism scandal around Dr. Claudine Gay, even the attempts to cover this up by Harvard. You have uncovered some new evidence in all this, haven't you? Absolutely. And uh, what we're seeing right now is uh, Claudine Gay has 11 articles, I believe, on her CV from her academic career. And now we found evidence of plagiarism in five out of those 11 articles. So to, to say that she's doing honest scholarship, um, you know, this this is something that seems to be a pervasive pattern of her academic career is she's borrowing other people's work without proper attribution, without proper quotation marks and in direct violation of Harvard's policies. And the the. The idea now that somebody's stealing somebody else's intellectual property, I mean, you as a as a as a published author, as a as a professor, as somebody who um, is a research fellow. I mean, that's got to be just the, the most revolting thing, right? Somebody else puts their time into creating something intellectual and you steal it as your own. Right. It's a betrayal of your readership. The purpose of scholarship is to leave a clear pattern of where you got your information to document all the steps of your argument when you're presenting a case for something. And if you're taking other people's work without crediting them, you're basically stealing. So now we're talking about five total papers, nearly half of her entire scholarly output. And then you found out in this 2001 APSR paper, the effect of black congressional representation on political participation. uh, She lifted some verbatim from some other scholars, right? Exactly. And this is something that Harvard's policies address. They say that if you quote, if you borrow other words from people, they have to be inside of quotation marks. You cannot paraphrase them, even if it's just a few words. Uh, it has to be properly quoted. And this is a really strict policy that students at Harvard get in trouble for. They've actually expelled dozens of students over the past decade for committing plagiarism of the very same type that someone like Claudine Gay seems to be getting away with right now. Now, we also know that they covered up a high-level investigation into whether its controversial president was a plagiarist. Um, they, they even threatened the, the New York Post over their, their probe into this. I mean, Harvard seems to be doubling down on this. And, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fair question, right? Did, did your president breach your own college's standards for research misconduct? It's a, it's a very legitimate question. I think that's absolutely the case. And what we're seeing in higher ed in general is a growing pattern of research misconduct, declining academic rigor, but it's always one-sided. It's only uh, faculty and professors on the political left who seem to get away with this stuff. And Claudine Gay is just simply the latest example of many. And and the idea that it's racist, you know what I mean? Like This is the other crazy part about this, uh, that, that it's racist to bring out Claudine Gay and to try to hold her accountable for these things. I mean, that's just insane. The, Claudine Gay was being investigated by Harvard prior to even going before Congress. All this came out because her testimony was just disastrous. It was disastrous for Harvard. And I think a lot of alumni and donors and other people turned around and said, you just made the college look terrible. Uh, we are embarrassed here and she should have to go. And I think, look, let's face it. If Claudine Gay was a white guy, um, he would probably be out of a job at this moment. Well, that's the thing. I mean, all three presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard who spoke before Congress came under criticism because they essentially said the exact same thing. They basically tried to dismiss uh, genocide by saying uh, it depends on the context, as if this is uh, some way to uh, to get them off the hook. 
But uh, all three presidents came under fire. It just so happened that Claudine Gay also had this separate issue of plagiarism that had been plaguing her career, and more and more people started looking into it. They discovered more evidence of it, and it's usually a pattern with these uh, types of cases. You'll find plagiarism in one document, and you start checking their other articles, and it turns out it's something they've done many times over their career, spread across several years. Dr. Magnus, let me ask you, the, the, the idea now of freedom of speech on college campuses, because I, I found this to be amazing. You know, the, these colleges will throw out a student if they use the wrong pronoun, if they're fat phobic or any of these other little, you know, DEI terms. But when it came to this vile anti-Semitic speech on campuses and calling for genocide and everything, they doubled down on freedom of expression. But these people have been the absolute biggest censors uh, of all time. I mean, they have they have created a culture of censorship on college campuses where people are afraid to speak out. They've canceled lectures. They've canceled um, debates on things. They've canceled comedians on college campuses. And of course, they have given colleges speech codes, which many people pointed out by your own speech code. This speech that you allowed was in violation of that. So I just I, you know, I have a hard time as somebody who always defends the First Amendment feeling sorry for any of these presidents, considering that they created this very culture. And if you're going to censor people and then you you allow certain speech, you then get to be called out for the speech that you ultimately do allow. That's absolutely the case. And I think what we're seeing here is free speech is thrown out as a term of convenience by them when they're under fire. But they'll weaponize it. They'll use it as a bludgeon to shut down speech they don't like. The real standard that seems to uh, be what everything revolves around is whether their politics happen to align with a certain very narrow slice of woke political leftism that uh, certain people are trying to bring to campus as its main mission, an activist leftist mission. And as long as you're supporting that, you get the benefit of the doubt on any of these cases. But if you go against that, uh, they come down on you like a hammer. Now, the university became aware in uh, late October of allegations regarding three articles And Harvard said at President Gay's request, the fellows promptly initiated an independent review by distinguished political scientists and conducted a review of her published work. On December 9th, the fellows reviewed the results, which revealed a few instances of inadequate citation. While the analysis found no violation of Harvard's standards for research misconduct, President Gay is proactively requesting four corrections in two articles to insert citations and quotation marks that were omitted from the original publications. But that was before you uncovered Another example of this, and that's what was tweeted out today by Christopher Rulo, that you, uh, Dr. Magnus, had, had found this out today that she had done this again. Exactly. Exactly. It's something that uh, is not just three articles. It turns out to be a pattern. And, you know, if I were um, advising someone that was investigating this, I'd look at all 11 articles that she had published over her career because there's a good chance that there's probably something more out there. And, you know, Harvard says they did an investigation. Why haven't they released that investigation? Why is there no transparency? Why not say who these supposed experts are that they brought in to, uh, to vet her work? I mean, this is something that the public, I think, deserves to know at this point, given the way that they've represented it. That's a great point. Yeah. What was this investigation? Was it actually a real investigation or was it just a uh, kangaroo court here? It certainly sounds like it was a kangaroo court. She has vigorously defended her academic record and comments to the Boston Globe. She said, I stand by the integrity of my scholarship throughout my career. I've worked to ensure my scholarship adheres to the highest academic standards. That's obviously not the case. I mean, she doesn't even adhere to Harvard's own academic standards or at least the ones that they apply to students. Dr. Philip Magnus, I appreciate it. Cracks in the ivory tower, the moral mess of higher education. Before I let you go, uh, I think America got to see uh, right on display here 
the problem with the ivory tower, the problem with these elite uh, privileged universities. What what has been happening that led to this moment where these these once highly regarded institutions have now been exposed to America as breeding this kind of, of, of hatred? How did we get here? Well, part of it comes from a very sharp leftward shift in faculty ideology that's only taken place in the past 15 to 20 years. You know, colleges always used to be left of center, but uh, they've moved, they migrated to almost a monolith of leftist culture among faculty. And when you have that internal echo chamber, you quit applying standards of rigor to your own work. You quit applying it to your colleagues. Um, And suddenly, you know, everything is all about political activism, uh, supporting one single position on campus. And unfortunately, I think that's the position that we've reached right now, just due to a leftist monolith in the way that faculty hiring has been conducted. Hmm. That's very, very scary for the future. No question about it, because then the students are going to have that same leftist uh, ideology when they graduate and then infect our corporations and, and 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 the culture. And it all it all goes right there. It's, it starts there in colleges and then it uh, it expands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're already seeing some of that. Dr. Philip Magnus, check out the book. It's excellent. Cracks in the Ivory Tower, the moral mess of higher education. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. You know, I always tell you, uh, and I'll give you more of the breaking news around Hunter Biden as soon as I get back in our fourth and final hour here. But I always tell you, and don't forget Friday is the Grand Hotel of Cape May. I want to see you there on Friday. I always tell you about um, giving people gifts that they won't want to return. I think it's a very important thing to do. Right? Nobody needs another errand. Nobody needs another thing to do. So give them something that they're going to love and give them American quality at the same time. I'm talking about Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com. This is something for everybody on your list. Oh, it's great. And when you use my name, Zioli, at checkout, you get an extra $30 off your order. 30 bucks. Come on. It's a no-brainer. Omaha Steaks is from the American heartland. This is top quality stuff here. All these steaks are aged 28 days to bring out the perfection. They're backed by an uncompromising guarantee. And there's something for everybody on your list there. There's surf and turf combinations. There's gourmet jumbo franks and burgers. And there's easy to prepare comfort meals, holiday dishes. You could send somebody a complete holiday, uh, complete holiday meal as part of your gift to them for this Christmas season. Just go to omahasteaks.com today. You'll see all of the wonderful ideas they have. They've put together a bunch of gift packages for you to make it super easy. You can even create your own. And they also have their private reserve collection. There's something there. But the key is Omaha Steaks, in an age right now where China is buying up all these farmlands and and American conglomerate, you know, these big food companies, uh, Omaha Steaks is five generations of family-owned right in America's heartland. So everything you're getting is top quality immediately flash frozen perfectly you could even sous vide it right in the uh in the packaging if you like these steaks come to you they're beautiful and when they're done right and it's easy to do because they give you all the directions and all the steps and you put the omaha steak seasoning on them you have the caramel apple tartlets ah you can tell i'm hungry it's dinner time right omahasteaks.com for everyone on your list they will love it put in my name zioli at checkout you have to do that very important please Z-E-O-L-I, get $30 off your order. Do it now. Beat the shipping delays. Christmas is right around the corner. OmahaSteaks.com, promo code Zioli. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, so made a lot of progress today. (laughs) The official inquiry into President Joe Biden, the impeachment inquiry has passed. That is the breaking news on the show today. 
What a show it's been. Holy cow. Friday, Cape May. Don't forget. I want to see you there. It's going to be fun. Um, but that's what happened. The House has voted to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Biden, making a pivotal moment in the GOP probe. Uh, the leadership obviously argued that this was necessary. The measure passed 221 to 212, with every Republican voting in favor of it and all present Democrats voting against. Light cheering could be heard on the Republican side of the chamber after the measure passed, with pin drop silence on the Democratic side. Quote from. Uh, Let's see. Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, who said we are now at a pivotal moment in our investigation. We will soon depose and interview several members of the Biden family and their associates about these influence peddling schemes. But we are facing obstruction from the White House. White House is seeking to block key testimony from current and former White House staff. It is also withholding thousands of records from Joe Biden's time as vice president. President Biden must be held accountable for his his lies, corruption and obstruction, Comer said. We have a duty to provide the accountability and transparency that Americans demand and deserve. The GOP led committees on oversight, ways and means and the judiciary have been investigating Biden over accusations. He had leveraged his office of vice president in the Obama administration to enrich his family through foreign businesses. Obviously. And former Speaker Kevin McCarthy directed the House to open an impeachment inquiry into Biden in September. And now here we are today. Uh, Tom Emmer, the House Majority Whip, told Fox News Digital that the White House requested the House. Requested the House vote itself. I don't know what, what exactly that means, but White House sent a letter saying that the subpoenas Republicans had served will not be honored and we won't even be recognized without a full vote of the House. So. Our speaker has done exactly what I would expect he would do as a lawyer. We're going to honor that. We're going to go ahead and do a full floor vote. He knows we're probably going to have to go to court to enforce these anyway, so might as well eliminate any of the objections that they have. Republicans were undertaking their vote because they recognized the gravity of impeachment proceedings, and they wanted to do it by the book. One member of Congress said, we don't want to minimize what it means to have an impeachment, which I think is what the Democrats did. We want to be able to have that tool to be a significant tool to hold presidents accountable. We don't want it just to be a knee jerk reaction. Judiciary Committee member Ben Klein of Virginia said, I think the House Republicans will follow the facts where they lead. We'll make sure that we have the facts and that we present the facts to the American people. In a statement following the vote, Biden accused House Republicans of wasting time with political attacks and avoiding critical issues facing the nation. Quote, we have to address the situation at our southern border, and I am determined to try to fix the problem. We need funding to strengthen border security, and Republicans in Congress won't act to help, Biden said. Biden said he's also working to make sure inflation keeps going down and job growth keeps going up, but accused Congress of refusing to help him. He said instead of doing anything to help make Americans' lives better, they have focused on attacking me with lies. Instead of doing their job or the urgent work that needs to be done, they're choosing to waste time on this baseless political stunt that even Republicans in Congress admit is not supported by facts. Said a statement from Biden, which Biden, of course, did not write. And this this happened today after Hunter Biden, of course, gave a big speech. We went into detail on that earlier today. A big speech where he uh, declared himself to be a victim. Evil, mean, MAGA Republicans who are going after him because they don't like the fact that he was a drug addict and paid for prostitutes. And by the way, that was the most redeeming thing that Hunter Biden did. At least he paid them, unlike his taxes. But 
that little slap in their face today, refusing to comply with the congressional subpoena for the deposition and then giving that big speech that led to this moment here today. But Hunter's not off the hook because they're still going to go after him now for obstruction of Congress, which they should, since he failed to show up today for the deposition. And the president knew he wasn't going to show up. and The president knew that. And um, the whole thing was a joke. The whole friggin thing was a joke. But now tomorrow we'll have a lot more to talk about as we get going with all this. I think there's a lot there. I'm glad they're doing it. I think it's very, very obvious what we're seeing here, which is that Joe Biden used his office to help his son. The big revelation today from Hunter Biden was that he said, my father was not financially involved in my business. What that is, is Hunter Biden's way of saying, yes, my father was involved in my business. And if I don't get a pardon, I'm going to sing like a canary. That's how my that's how I interpret it anyway. That was Hunter Biden's thinly veiled threat. I know you were involved. You know, I know you were involved. I'm not going to prison. So give me a pardon. My father was not financially involved in my business, but he was involved, right? Yes, he was. And that's the key. If you use your office as vice president to enrich your family members, whether you get money or not, and I believe Joe Biden did, but whether you get money or not is not the point. You've used your office to enrich your family members. They've impeached people for that in the past. They just did it to a judge recently. Jonathan Turley pointed that out. So Joe Biden using the office of vice president using his leverage for meetings and influence to help his son, meetings, phone calls, dinners, and then ultimately uh, holding a billion dollars of aid over Ukraine's head if they didn't fire the prosecutor who was investigating Burisma, the energy company that Hunter Biden was on the board of. Joe Biden doing all those things is an abuse of power. Whether he personally benefited or not, his family did. And that is absolutely unacceptable. All right, thanks for listening to the show today. We appreciate it very, very much. We will be live in Cape May Friday, 3 to 7. Well, Matt DeSanctu Traitorous will be there. Henry, of course, will be getting ready to storm the Capitol on Friday, so oh, he won't please, be with us. Please don't do not do that again. <laughs> You're going to be down a producer. I don't want to lose you, buddy. I don't want to lose you. But those white vans outside your house, we're all getting a little nervous. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, man. A little bit nervous. You're nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> It's just jokes, government. We're just joking. They can't Uh, take a joke. They can't take a joke. They have no freaking sense of humor, these people. Have a great rest of your night. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thank you. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 